0: You think Zap is short for Zapruder?
1: Oh, that would be great because this would be a Zapruder film. It would also explain why it's hard to watch.
0: time we did season 9 episode 10 the final sacrifice
1: in which the joke is canada
0: indeed speaking of which happy canada day
1: Hey, <laughs> it's 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 our 4th of July. <laughs> it's so good we have it three days before yours, Americans, because we don't have a complex about these things.
0: And it's funny, I actually know nothing about why that particular date was chosen, mm. uh, other than, you know, it's nice to have a nice summer day. I don't think it has anything to do with the actual, like, you know, solidification of the country or anything like that. Could be think, wrong, didn't do the research, don't know.
1: Yeah, I think it's when the uh, part of our Heritage uh, Her- Historic Minute was filmed about whether or not Canada is the name of the village or the people.
0: Yeah, I don't think from, and I, I'm only picking this up from Martha Stewart magazines, but it doesn't seem like Canada makes as big a deal out of their special day, their special country day than, than America does, where everything gets festooned in stars and stripes, and there's a lot of uh, America-themed bakes, you know.
1: Well yeah that's true there's there is no <laughs> there 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 isn't quite as much of the uh stirring of patriotism that you see on Canada day at least not that i've seen actually like sincerely displayed but also you know we're just not the kind of nation that makes a movie like independence day uh, to celebrate <laughs> when we freed ourselves from the aliens
0: right because we never we well we never had an independence day uh uh england just kind of stopped paying attention
1: yeah we uh we, we were we were basically we were not unlike kid and play in in the film house party okay in that in that you know england was saying hey you can you can you can stay here. I'm I'm going out for a while, but don't you declare yourself a country? And, <laughs> and we did.
0: Teehee. he sort of, but uh, with their permission.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we're 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 not rude. I mean, the fact that's one of the founding founding uh, bits of of, of Canada's uh, backbone. That's 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 who we are. Is that we do things with permission, right?
0: Uh, And also, I feel like there's just a little bit more awareness about the fact that Canada as a a nation is a controversial topic, you know, that it required stepping on the necks of an awful lot of other people who are already here to make it happen. And so I always feel, especially now, although that might just be the, the circle of people I move around in, that, you know, there's something slightly uh, shameful about celebrating canada day too loudly and mm. with too much uh aplomb
1: i think that's why we never do mm. i think that's why canada has has a very um i might say agnostic uh kind of uh patriotism <laughs> yeah. um, like we we will we we do it you know it's it's fun to have a party and i think it's just there so that you know, if if Canadians on TV were seeing Americans going nuts on the Fourth of July, uh, my God, we would need a holiday uh, uh, because we would be massively envious of of the the fireworks and and good times and whatnot. So we have a couple of fireworks and people pretend they like beaver tails for twenty four hours, <laughs> but that's about it.
0: Yeah, is that typically what you do with your Canada Days? Go out to a park and watch the fireworks?
1: You know, I mean, there's a, there's an age in which uh fireworks stop being exciting and that's after eight. <laughs> <laughs> once once you're nine years old, fireworks just don't impress. Um I'm I'm still kind of like I, I, I get it when it's for the kids. I really mm. do. I really get when it's for the kids. But otherwise you're just like, hey I'm an asshole who likes to scare
0: dogs. <laughs>
1: And I don't know. There's no appeal for me there.
0: I like fireworks. They can be very pretty. But I haven't been to them in years since I had a kid because she's still very young and she goes to sleep well before they get going on these late summer nights when the sun doesn't go down until 10. So I haven't seen one for years. But I do hear them. And thank you, everybody, for for that. Where's
1: the silent firework that we can all enjoy? (laughs) There's the fizzle ones that just go... (laughs) <laughs> but actually, on that note, by the time this episode drops, um, a part of our Scaritage, which is a fellow podcast on the McFonic Network uh, that I co host, is going to be discussing Canada's very first horror movie, <gasps> The Mask, not the Jim Carrey one. <laughs> we already made that joke in the episode.
0: Uh, and what makes it Canada's very first horror movie?
1: age it was made in 1963 and there were no canadian horror movies before that
0: oh wow what is it about
1: it is not that dissimilar from the jim carrey mask plot wise uh it was originally called the mask from hell and it's largely an excuse for surrealist 3d effects so the the gimmick was audiences would know when to put on their 3d glasses because the mask would tempt the man who is haunted by the ancient mask to put it on. So when a narrator goes, "Put the mask on now," you're supposed to put on your 3D glasses and they see the nightmarish hell world that he sees whenever he puts on the mask.
0: Oh, that's kind of a cute gimmick.
1: Uh, it's 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 very fun. The art direction and costumes of the mask sequences is legitimately great. Huh. The film itself, that is something you'd have to find out by listening to a part of our Scarletage.
0: Oh. Well, should we go to this other painfully Canadian movie that we're about to get into?
1: All right, well, let's let's put some booze into the truck and let it catch on fire, because we are driving for our date with The Final Sacrifice. This time, we watched Season 9, Episode 10, The Final Sacrifice. Once there was a man with a dream. A filmmaker who yearned to prove that Canadian films could be so much more than complicated Atomagoyan dramas and clinical David Cronenberg horrors. We can make schlock, too. Enter. The final sacrifice. But we'll talk about the director when we get to the show 13. Here's what you need to know. Troy McGregor is an orphan teen pursued by beefy guys in ski masks and a satanic version of Ken from Baiko. These are the sole surviving people of the lost race of Ziox. See, Ken from Baiko and his good life fitness minions are trying to reclaim their lost territory and gain enough power to rule the world. Possibly as a misguided vision uh, of restoring Earth to its true ancient rulers. They say in strange eons, even Canadians may die. Anyway, Troy escapes. Uh, He hides amongst the rubble of a boozer named Zap Rousedour. Yes, really. Troy proves to have a littlest hobo influence on Zap, and the two bond to face off against the Zioxidans. In the end, Troy and Zap catch a glimpse of a lost civilization, take down a cult, and save Canada once and for all.
0: Meanwhile, on the Satellite of Love, in the prologue, Gypsy has to temporarily turn off power to the SOL. Mike warns the bots not to loot anything while it's out, but they do it anyway. Crow steals his own TV. Tom, meanwhile, has thrown a mannequin through Mike's window and stolen his recycling. They're not very good at this. In segment one, Pearl tries to rule the world by asking people, very nicely, to let her rule them, one person at a time. The first test subject, Todd, refuses. The fact that she's asking while being shot in a Dutch angle close-up probably doesn't help. Brain Guy introduces the film as the worst thing to ever come out of Canada, a designation that has only recently been eclipsed by Jordan Peterson. In segment two, Tom dons a Mountie's uniform and sings the Canada song in honor of the movie, which mostly seems to focus on the natural beauty of the prairie provinces, which, it should be noted, is not that different from the landscape of Minnesota. Mike and Crow make fun of the country instead, and eventually convince Tom to do the same, and the results are genocidal. The riffs on Canada continue in the next segment, with Deep 13 suffering from a bad case of hockey hair after Bobo ate a bad can of Canadian bacon. It's highly contagious, so soon even the SOL is covered in feathered mullets. Only Mike is immune, having already suffered from the illness in the 80s. However, Mike gets grizzled old prospector syndrome in the next segment, which often follows hockey hair. In the final segment, Crow and Tom have started a cult, though their cult activities seem to consist mostly of baking muffins and watching Allie McBeal. Meanwhile, Pearl has successfully convinced someone to let her rule them in exchange for a lovely meal but then at the last minute he's taken over by the travelers group which i think is a joke about insurance premiums
1: beth i know that you have long been a member of the uh, cult that adores this episode <laughs> so ha- has has it indeed lived up to uh, to to your imaginings or do you have to get your tattoo removed <laughs>
0: Uh, I remember the first, and this is only the second time I've watched it, so the first time I was, you know, pleasantly surprised that it was so good, and I had a lot of fun with it, and I don't know, I just have a soft spot for low-rent Canadian <laughs> independent movies. This other time, uh, I, I found it a little bit more spacious on the laughs than I had recalled. Uh, it's still good, but I, I, I'm not as enthusiastic about it as I was the first time. I think it's just merely quite good. I wouldn't say it's great.
1: I I am baffled by the fondness people have for this episode. I know. Genuinely baffled. It's shocking to me. (laughs) Um, It's like finding out someone's favorite episode was was Batwoman Uh, or or any of the other, I guess, uh, MST3K low points. There's a particular part in this episode uh, that... Uh, i i i I remembered and thought oh it can't be like that in the actual episode but lo and behold it happens where kevin murphy just keeps singing the name roused hour
0: and that's and
1: that's the joke the joke is that the character has a funny name and hey if you like that joke they make it 48 more times
0: yeah, I think it might. A lot of the affection might be for the movie itself, which has it is a lot of fun. Like Roused is, you know, a memorable and fun character. The villains are super goofy. It, it's just a very cartoonish movie, and I can see why people have an affection for it.
1: See, even there, I am confused because, like. I watch Canadian Schlock on a fairly regular basis. I devote an entire podcast to it. You and I watched, not that long ago, John Michael Thor's masterpiece, <laughs> Rock and Roll Nightmare.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting to get the perspective from you because you have an entire podcast basically uh, dedicated to low-rent uh canadian movies Mm -hmm. so you don't think that this is exceptionally good or or corny or anything like that
1: no it's as flat and charmless as alberta itself (laughs) (laughs) it's like uh no i i I don't i don't see it i don't see what people see in this Uh, i will say this uh you know rating the movie a little bit the the sequence without riffing even the sequence where Troy becomes aware that uh, a bunch of burly dudes and ski masks have come to his house and then a chainsaw just starts uh, tearing uh, one of the doors down. That is really promising. Mm-hmm. That happens so early in the movie. Like, Oh, maybe this is a lot of fun, but then nothing happens. It's, it's shot in a really flat way. Like again, compare this to rock and roll nightmare. We watched that mm-hmm. and rock and roll nightmare probably has even less money than this movie. Probably. I have a feeling that John Michael Thor brought those puppets from home (laughs) and yet it's made with so much more love creativity and like, A weird vision. I'm not saying it's 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 a masterpiece, but there's some kind of there there. There's some kind of like weird and unique internal logic to it that makes it so appealing. You know, and that movie does end with John Michael Thor showing off his best special effect, which is his abs and uh, fighting starfish in slow motion against a big skeleton demon puppet. And there's nothing to compare here. This is this is like watching. This is like watching uh, like some kind of spin-off from the Edison Twins. Like It's kind of flat, and it's, it's not very interesting. And that score is one of the most irritating I've ever heard.
0: Yeah, it's funny you bring up John Michael Thor, because I was thinking about how heavily this kind of leans on its Canadian-ness as a source of, of comedy. Hmm. Because it's no more Canadian than Zombie Nightmare. Zombie Nightmare was filmed in Montreal, Quebec. Yep. And... Like this movie, it doesn't bring attention to its Canadianness. It just happened to have been filmed there. If anything, they're going for kind of like a generic American kind of feel.
1: Hence international superstar Adam West.
0: Indeed. So I wonder why they made the decision for this one to really put the pedal down heavily. On the fact that it's a Canadian movie,
1: well, maybe there was a chance for it to get some kind of grant money.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there was like fingers crossed.
1: Uh, well, I guess to, to praise the one thing that I do, I think genuinely, like it's like I will say, like I think Bruce J Mitchell is really charming. Mm-hmm, he is. I, I, I think you know, yes, it's odd if if it's revealed after this episode uh, that the 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 names for the characters in the script were were come up for by somebody's son. Mm -hmm. Uh, at the tender age of six that's the only way that that would make sense uh particularly for zap roused which is just like a baffling choice like two silly names combined uh (laughs) that, that that people tend not to have but uh he's very sincere and he doesn't he doesn't play up any of the uh, a goofier or, or more eccentric qualities that the character has. He he just he just tries to note the reality of what that character would be like and he succeeds. He's he's yeah. he's genuinely quite likable.
0: Okay. I think there's this movie has a few things going for it. One is Bruce Mitchell the other is the amazing
1: Oh the Pippin guy. It's yeah, gotta be the Pippin guy. The
0: grizzled old cabin man. Yeah. Who yeah, is yeah. incredible. Just that voice, that voice is so incredible. And Mm -hmm. the goofy villain with the weird voice is kind of fun, too. So I think it's a fun movie to watch, and I can see why a lot of fans have a special uh, spot in their hearts for it. I did find the riffing a little bit more forgettable this time around.
1: Yeah. But also, it's like, I'd say from memory and and even with what we've seen a little bit is that you know it's like season seasons nine and ten we're starting to just like slow down towards ktma uh levels of riffing at times and it's like ah maybe that's the sign that you know the show needed a shot in the arm mm-hmm. and we got it so it kind of worked out but there is something pleasantly cyclical about that and that it starts to return to to its proto form <laughs> uh, of its uh of its uhf days But Canada.
0: (laughs) Yes. As I mentioned before, they really lean heavily on the fact that this is a Canadian movie. In the process, even though they they make a lot of jokes about how boring and pointless Canada is as a country, Hmm. they show a lot of familiarity with Canadian culture, like stuff that I would never expect an American to know it makes me think that they have a lot more familiarity with Canada than they're letting on to the point that I don't know if they visited often, but they certainly, I suspect watch CBC for instance.
1: Well, what do you, well, actually that's not something I know. It's like, is what is the reach for the mother corp in the United States? Mother corp. Yeah. That's what CBC is known as.
0: <laughs> I did not know that. That's a great name. Um, the, the great state of Minnesota borders on Canada. So my theory is That like a lot of border provinces and states, they are getting some of the CanCon, just like we got a lot of feeds from Buffalo and Mm, and Rochester, New York. And Rochester, New York. Yeah, with
1: Jim the Hammer Shapiro. Yeah,
0: there's just some cultural bleed through that happens. And so I get the sense that... In either, like, with their rabbit ears growing up or with the cable packages, they had access to CBC. Hmm. Even more interesting, because they mentioned the show as it happens, that's CBC Radio, oh. which I think was actually, uh, it, it is hosted by a few American Radio stations probably PBS, mm-hmm. but they just make references to to CBC shows like Do South. I'm like, how do you know about that? I've never even seen it.
1: Uh, uh, correction: Do South was a CBS CTV co-production.
0: Oh, okay, my mistake. But like the Red Green show, which was on the Canadian TV forever, I'm surprised it got. To, although I've, I had heard that one of the reasons it was on forever is it has some popularity in the uh, northern states
1: i have a true story to reveal while watching a pbs telethon steve smith was there he's the titular red green and he was there doing uh pledges because of course they aired the red green show on pbs for many years mm. and he was quite sad uh and and was visibly sad on the air when he, and he said it was like well we are getting a lot of americans pledging in but not a single canadian has called to support the show <laughs> Like, I remember when they're making fun of the cabin man that there's a number of references to Yosemite Sam, who the guy doesn't really sound like, Mm. but towards the end, uh, and they kind of misquote it. But towards the end, they, they quote one of Red Green's catchphrases. The actual phrase was, if the women don't find you handsome, they should at least find you handy. And that's not quite what they say in the episode.
0: That is definitely close to Red Green. I also feel like he's a combination of Dr. Teeth and Cyril Sneer. Hmm. It's a very Canadian oh. voice in a lot of ways.
1: Yes, yes, the, the most Canadian, uh, our, our greatest icon, which is Cyril Snare. Um, and he should be on our money, yeah, he, should. he should be on our money and on on the coins. I don't know, those pigs he would talk to and that one Texas alligator he would do business deals with. But with with the Red Green Show, it's it's weird. Did you grow up watching that at all? It was on. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I I found it weirdly charming as a kid.
0: Mm -hmm, I found it weirdly,
1: weirdly charming. And I think a lot of that comes down to uh, the actors. I I think uh, Steve Smith is a really charming leading man, and Patrick McKenna was uh, Canada's Urkel. Mm Mm-hmm as weird Harold, but not the uh, Cosby gets character, weird Harold. And the two of them uh, had, a, they had this really easy, likable chemistry. There was that fun sense of desperation of, we don't have any money. We just have enough money for us and the sets that we've built. Mm-hmm. So let's try and make a half hour comedy show with nothing. And so they would just talk to the camera for, for 20 20- to 25 minutes and there was something kind of fascinating about that
0: yeah it had an interesting pacing like it was never a difficult show to watch and it had like a strange kind of reassuring sameness about it every episode yeah
1: it it was it was weirdly likeable and yet at the same time if you had only seen one episode provided that Harold was in it because of course there's a year where Patrick McKenna left the show to star <laughs> in the High Profile Traders on CTV
0: <laughs> That's right I yeah. forgot about that
1: <laughs> Oh yeah but Harold came back because Traders only lasted a couple of seasons but uh you know provided you watch an episode with Harold and uh co-creator Rick Green Uh, From the great Canadian sketch comedy group, The Frantics, is on the show for the Adventures with Bill segment. As long as you have both of those things that are in most of the episodes, you've seen every red-green episode. You just have to see one. But it's always kind of nice to have it.
0: Uh, I did think it was interesting this time, comparing this with Zombie Nightmare, where they notice it's Canadian and then a lot of jokes come out of that. Uh, but they, it never, it's only in the theater. They don't bring it out into the segments, number one. And they mention good things like kids in the hall. Yeah. You know, whereas they seem to be stepping the pedal on all this slightly goofy stuff that comes out of Canada like hockey hair and Burton Cummings, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. Maybe maybe you have to be more of a Rolling Stone subscriber uh and thus older than us uh to appreciate these eyes.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But I never I never did. I mean, I don't hate Burton Cummings, but he's not something that makes my breast swell with pride.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of references to old folksy white Canadian guys that I kind of I don't know if I was consciously trying to avoid them, but uh like Gordon Lightfoot, I couldn't actually tell you anything about gordon lightfoot i think they make a reference to stomping tom connors at some point and i'm just like yeah i remember he was a thing you know Mm. (laughs) but that's yeah it's definitely that the references are of a time
1: yeah and and you know uh, the hockey hair is not it's not a specifically Canadian thing. No, <laughs> you know we did not invent the mullet. It's it's to, and in fact we didn't even perfect the mullet because the one time the mullet has looked good, nay, sexy on a human being, why that was Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China,
0: irresistible. It was <laughs> very feathery.
1: Yeah. You know, he's a good-looking fella with a good-looking neck covering.
0: Who Who do you think ever wore the best mullet? I
1: don't know, probably probably Mario Lemire or Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> between, it's probably between those two.
0: Do you remember when... Oh, now I'm blanking on his name. Former semi-phony guy who went full right-wing after... 9 Oh, Dennis Miller. Yeah, I remember Dennis Miller had quite the coif back then. He, back did. In the day. he did. His SNL
1: days are mostly mulleted. But I think of, when I think of Dennis Miller, I think of his bearded HBO days. Remember when Dennis Miller would threaten to become a movie star? He was in movies, everybody. Uh, uh, when when you and I were fairly young, uh, not that this is especially Canadian, but that was the thing that Hollywood really wanted to happen. Of of course they did. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Well, speaking uh. of people who think they're funnier than they are, they also mentioned Ed the Sock. Ah,
1: there's there's the 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 true heir to uh, Red Green and Cyril Sneer's gravelly voice, mm-hmm. if not necessarily uh, their comedy antics. Uh, how were you exposed? I, I think it's easy to guess, but nonetheless, I must ask: <laughs> How were you exposed to Ed the Sock initially?
0: All right. Well, he was on uh, the Canadian equivalent of MTV. Much music.
1: Yes. Uh, In fact, I'm going to throw one out there, Beth. I've seen a little bit of classic MTV.
0: Mm -hmm. I've seen a little
1: bit of it. And everyone waxes nostalgically for it. But you know what? Much music was way better. Here's why. Much music had more or less the same content, plus 30% required can-con myths. (laughs) That's right. Care of the CRTC.
0: All the Sass Jordan you can handle.
1: Indeed. But, 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 but. Those things were there but it also cost about as much as an episode of the Red Green Show <laughs> and was thus every bit as charming
0: yeah. Yeah, it had a real crafty feel to it. Yes. It was very charming.
1: It was not that far from YTV. Mm -hmm. And in fact, what is Ed the Sock, if not a repurposed puppet of Warren the Grog from the YTV PJ era of the 80s?
0: We should mention, if people are not familiar with Ed the Sock, he is actually a proto-Triumph the insult comic dog, to the point where he actually attempted to sue Robert Spiegel for uh, ripping off his concept.
1: Which is weird, because his, his concept is a smoking puppet that insults people. That's right. Uh, okay. I have a,
0: a, an interesting story about Ed the Sock.
1: Oh my God. You you guys met, didn't you? Well, no. Did you go on a date with Ed the Sock? <laughs> I
0: wouldn't put it past him, but uh when I was, you know, sixteen or seventeen and it was uh the very early two thousands, so cell phones were just becoming a thing. And I was going to be going off to university soon. And so it's just like I kind of need a cell phone, I think, just to, you know in case of emergencies and whatnot. And I had a father who I still do, but who was very (laughs) assertive when it came to buying things that were technology. He would always just do it for you. And it always felt like he was doing something nice, but then he kind of forced you into certain, like, here's the best thing. And if you're like, I don't know if I want that. Well, it's what you're getting. So here you go. (laughs) So in this case, I had mentioned, you know, I really want this, uh, I really think I should get a cell phone. I'd really like it f- to have a camera in it, because that was just starting to become a thing, too. So he goes to the local electronics store and comes back with a phone that's preloaded with much music content, because that made it much, much cheaper.
1: <laughs> much, much cheaper, you
0: say? <laughs> yes. Because everything, like all, all the themes, all all of the rings were much music focused and they had a whole ed the sock collection wow <laughs> so in order to have a phone i just had to accept that ed the sock was going to be my avatar for the next five years of my life oh beth what became of this phone <laughs> i think it, it cocked out eventually uh because was it was it uh, hey, oh i lost it. it i lost it oh. <laughs> and well, then somebody uh, found it and gave it back to me
1: <laughs> <laughs> what was it was it a flip
0: phone it was a flip phone
1: was the flip phone uh like it, it, it was kind of gray but then you open it up and, it, and the inside was add the sock
0: <laughs> yes like he was the main picture that came up, when oh. It
1: up. oh that's fantastic uh that's actually fantastic one I wish I, I, I wish I had that phone then. I wish I had that phone now. <laughs> I wish I had that phone now. That is so, so uh, perfectly Canadian-kish uh, <laughs> that that it's highly desirable. Um, and it is, like, I guess, a, a reminder that Ed the Sock was a much bigger thing in the 90s, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, uh, than, than he is now. Uh, I know he's got a web presence now, because who doesn't, mm-hmm. but uh, as, as I guess he is the Canadian equivalent of... Of George Takei, and that everyone knows his webpage, I guess. Um, but there was a time in which uh, Ed the Sock was the host of a late night show. Yeah. Do you? Va- do you okay, you remember this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just fromage. Because as we know, uh, Much Music would do a special call fromage, uh, which would be devoted to the year's worst videos. And indeed, it was one of uh, Much Music's best original programs. Um, originally, it was hosted by a talking mime. And <laughs> then, it, then it became Ed the Sox domain, who would often say, it's like, if you don't watch this year, they're going to get that French guy again. Which is a pretty good
2: joke. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but then there was Ed's Night Party, which all I can remember it is, is that it was kind of a proto-man show
0: yeah and if you that goes site now which i wouldn't recommend like it's just uh the man who runs at the sock whose name i'm blanking on and i don't think it matters
1: ted the sock
0: he he's turned into an old reactionary white guy and hmm. so i uh, T- turned yeah well turned
1: turned. the word we're looking for is is the word not remains
0: let's just say the fact that he wasn't woke didn't seem as obvious in the 90s because none of us were, hmm. but uh, yeah, he hasn't kept up with the times.
1: Oh, uh, the only thing I've seen from from his Facebook page, not to contradict, the only thing I've, I've seen was uh, that cathartic thing that we all felt as Canadians uh, when Jean Gramsci... Uh, gate was, was going on. Mm-hmm. And, and he was one of several Canadian entertainers going, listen, if you ever listened to Jean Gameshi and thought, hey, this guy was a giant tool, rest assured he was. <laughs> if you ever met him, uh, you knew that he was a, a terrible person with, with skeletons in his closet. And I, for one, am enjoying his, his current roast in public, which immediately was something that I felt having never met Jean Gameshi. I just thought he was insufferable. Well,
0: he he, he made that song, The King of Spain yes watch. uh okay well I'll give him points for that
1: yeah right that's on. the that's the only thing i know of modern day ed the sock other than there have been various attempts to bring him back to television that haven't really caught on he he's 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 much like tom green another another canadian bit of weirdness uh he never fully goes away but the most he does is threaten to come back
0: oh i forgot about tom green god yeah.
1: a lot of canadian culture is stupid Beth.
0: Uh, that was like the worst time for comedy when he was in the ascendant there's nothing good about that kind of comedy it's just so gross
1: well it depends on, on that's just it the show that he did had its moments, but if no one. Unfortunately, here's the thing: you're you're aware that Tom Green was given the green light, no pun intended, mm-hmm. to make a big studio comedy called Freddie Got Fingered,
0: which I haven't seen, and I've heard some people think it's actually quite brilliant.
1: Some some people do, and here's the thing: there are brilliant things in it. Mm-hmm. There's there's the genuinely like brilliant anarchic streak buried in the movie, mm-hmm. but I don't know if Tom Green is aware of that. <laughs> Just as on the Tom Green show, it seemed like friends of his were kind of the clever writers on the show, and Tom Green would be the guy who who would, like, I'm going to fondle a moose carcass in public. Uh-huh. Tom Green definitely doesn't seem to know what was actually funny about him versus, like, stuff that got him attention.
0: Mm-hmm. Before we wrap up this segment, is there any kind of CanCon reference that they made that you want to give some attention to?
1: Uh, well, I think one of the best jokes in the episode was free pictures of Brian Mulrooney with Philip.
0: Yes, that was good.
1: But uh, I think that's also because of brian not only is Brian Mulrooney, you know, just one of the worst prime ministers that we've had.
0: <laughs> but
1: the Mulrooney legacy is terrible because he birthed his loathsome son ben and rest assured he birthed him in brian mulrooney's <laughs> womb <laughs> who hosts just miserable uh, oh. e-celebrity shows and god you see someone with the last name mulrooney from this from this neck of the woods from the, this land we call home beth you just want to push him down a flight of stairs <sighs>
0: Quite an impressive chin, though, gotta say.
1: I, I've never watched much of Spitting Image, but I don't think you'd need to make a puppet of him. You could just use a photo, and it would look like a Spitting Image puppet.
0: <laughs> I can't decide whether or not they like Mike Myers. I, I would say, remember,
1: uh, Mike Nelson has gone on the record talking about how loathsome he finds Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. So if if you don't like Jim Carrey in his in his heyday, why would you like Mike Myers, an equally muggy Canadian, in his heyday.
0: True enough, but come on, Wayne's World is a work of genius. Hey everybody, it's time for the,
1: the Shadow thirteen. It's time for the Shadow thirteen. Thirteen tasty timbits about the final sacrifice. Go Beth, go.
0: First off, we'd like to offer a few corrections to the episode. Crow jokes about the director. He comes from a long line of great anuses. In fact, the director's name is pronounced Chardus Anis. Also, his first name is Chardus. T J A R D U S. It's not T. Dot Jardus, as listed on the VHS release of the movie.
1: Also, contrary to Tom Servo's ad lib lyrics for the closing credit suite, the music neither sounds much like Danny Elfman, nor is Jenna Elfman the film composer's daughter. Jenna is an Elfman by marriage, marrying Danny's nephew Bodie in 1995.
0: The film credits also get our lead actors wrong. It lists Bruce J. Mitchell, who plays Rousedour, as playing Troy, and Christian Malcolm, who plays Troy, as playing Rousedour. The crew noticed the error before releasing the movie, but just didn't have the budget to make the correction.
1: Speaking of Bruce J. Mitchell, our real Rousedour was a Canadian theater actor and guitar player from Winnipeg. He is beloved among mst 3 k fans for being a very good sport about the riffing his character endured, even requesting copies of the show from an interviewer in 2006 because the show was still hard to find in Canada.
0: And Christian Malcolm, the boy toy Troy, was a film student at the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology with Gwardanis, and co-wrote the screenplay. He's been cast in a few more shows since then, most recently Hannah in 2011, about a little girl who was raised by her father to be the perfect assassin.
1: The working title for the film was The Dawn of z When it was released on Laserdisc and VHS, it was renamed Quest for the Lost City. Someday they'll come up with a good name.
0: The woman holding the wine glass in the photo on the dash of Zap's truck is Bruce J. Mitchell's wife, Angela. As revealed in an interview on Shout Factory's release of the episode, Mitchell and his then-girlfriend were miles apart at the time, allowing the actor to incorporate how much he missed Angela into his character's loneliness.
1: Mike and the Bots joke about Troy being obsessed with Larry Zonka. Zonka was an American football player who notably played for the Miami Dolphins in the early 70s. After he retired from football, he was often on television, providing color commentary on football games and American Gladiators matches.
0: Tom makes a joke about a piece of Link Hayes topiary. Link Hayes was a character from the late 60s, early 70s cult show The Mod Squad. The Mod Squad's gimmick was that the squad was made up of three cops. One black, one white, one blonde. Link, played by Clarence Williams III, sported a magnificent afro that did indeed look like the topiary in the movie.
1: The Final Sacrifice was made by Flying Dutchman Productions, and the editor is listed by the pseudonym The Flying Dutchman. The Flying Dutchman was a ghost ship, tales of which date back to at least the 18th century. It's said to appear in harbors during storms. The ghost of a ship forced to stay at sea, either because of crime or disease, until all its passengers died.
0: The story of The Flying Dutchman was developed into an opera by Rehard Wagner but also into special episodes of Scooby-Doo, the Spider-Man cartoon, and SpongeBob SquarePants.
1: As the gravelly-voiced man in the cabin works on Troy's map, Tom sings, Come and sit by my side if you love me, so hasten to bid me adieu. Ooh. This song is Red River Valley, a classic cowboy song probably written in the late 1800s about a woman pining for her soldier boy heading off to the Red River Valley in northern Manitoba.
0: Red River Valley became such a popular and overplayed country song that Johnny Cash even recorded a song called Please Don't Play Red River Valley on his album of mostly not that funny comedy songs called Everybody Loves a Nut. Link in the show notes. And that's time.
1: Well, Beth, we have to ask a very important question, which is who is the protagonist of this movie? Because that has confused some people, uh, including writer and performer Mary Jo Peel, when she wrote about this very episode for the Sci-Fi Channel's not-quite-amazing-colossal-episode guide.
0: Yes, uh, I'll read it out, just so people have it. Just between you and me and the wall, I think a major error was made in their film archetypology. Zap was clearly supposed to be the intermediary guy, the hard-drinking, tough-but-lovable car-won't-start-sidekick to the hero. However... We were short one hero, and it's not till the end of the movie that you realize that Troy and Zap's journey isn't to bring Troy to the hero, to whom Zap should be the sidekick, but in fact, Zap is the hero.
1: Now, first of all, uh, clearly Pippin is the hero of this movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's
1: just a fact, but also like I I think Mary Jo's off base here.
0: Me too. This is not the first time where she's come up with like a weird theory that I completely disagree with. I mean, I can see because it's badly written that there's some confusion there, but it's t- to me, it's like this is you know pretty much a classic quest narrative, and Troy is you know the Frodo, the Snaggletooth Frodo, and Zap is the alcoholic Gandalf. I mean, that doesn't mean he can't have his own character arc, you know, where he gets something fulfilled, too, and turns into a different person. But it is always, that is a reward in service of Troy, right? Of the of the main character.
1: Well, see, I would say that Troy is there to set up the real hero of the movie. That is Zap. Because Troy gets the plot moving, and... Because Troy is a far more, like, sketched in, not as detailed, and far more, I would say far more cliched of a character, not necessarily that's a bad thing, you know, he's he's a young orphan kid who finds himself, you know, in a world of magic and intrigue because of his special destiny and ties to his uh, his long-lost dad. You know, that's all well and dandy. But this is a redemption story for Roused Mm. This is this is all about Rousedauer, who has uh, ruined his life because of a teenage dalliance with cultism. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, he, he, who who loses the bottle. Uh, he still doesn't regain his goyle, but he gains a son in the form of Troy, and they drive off to the sunset together. This is Zap's story, and he is rightfully the hero.
0: Oh well, look at that. Maybe Mary Joe is onto something after all, because we are disagreeing. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying he's a good hero, Troy, I mean, but he's not the first example of a hero that is outshone by his sidekicks. And, I mean, Troy is still the one who, even though he doesn't actively really do anything, like he's the one who all the plot points happen to. He's the one who finds the lost city. He's the one who breaks the code, he's the one who actually gets the city to rise again from the earth. Like he he's clearly being set up as the hero and his reward is that he gets another Rousedower. <laughs> he gets Rousedower. He gets a new dad. Hmm. So I feel like yes, you can definitely make the point that Roused story ends up being more interesting. But I still think that if you're looking at archetypes, Troy's still very much the hero.
1: Ah, see, I, there I disagree because, again, when it comes to, I don't know, Sargus or Sargon of Akkad or whatever the hell the, the deep voice dude's name is.
0: <laughs> I read it, I did so many different versions of that before I looked it up. It's like Centaurus? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, He,
1: uh, you know, Centron. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the deranged villain in this movie, his history is strictly with Rousedauer, mm-hmm. And it's all about Rousedower conquering and defeating the villain, and again, turning his back on that lost civilization, regardless of who finds it. I think Troy's the sidekick. is hmm. the real deal.
0: Mm. I don't think we're going to be able to convince each other, uh, just because I agree that he should be the hero but I don't think he's meant to be. I think uh just because we're with Troy the longest like it's just a question of like who is set up to be the person that we as the audience are supposed to basically link with as our you know our ego in the movie as much as I hate to say it it's Troy. Like the, part of the fact that he's not interesting is just so that he can be kind of an audience insert and so that we can enjoy becoming roused son along with him well that that raises
1: two questions because like one it's like he's definitely the audience figure and he's there to ask questions and, and get all the exposition to the audience but that's also the role of the companion in doctor who mm. but who is the hero of doctor who i'll give you a hint it's, it's the first <laughs> statements in the title it's not the adventures of human and an interesting alien it's doctor who Hmm. And uh, I would say that uh, that Troy's presence in in the movie and 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 you know arguably more screen time. Well, bet that can that can honestly be put down to incompetent Canadian editing.
0: <laughs> ah, but that debate did bring up something about movies that are geared towards young young men of imaginative fancy,
1: <laughs> like Porky's, another Canadian film of adventure. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, Anyway, so, yes, this is a boy's adventure quest, which I'm kind of keyed into because it kind of had something to do with my dissertation back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, And how, especially in the 19th century, these kinds of imperial adventures became really um, popular reading. And they were geared mostly towards boys to make them good colonial subjects back in the day. And it struck me how much this plot kind of reminds me of Treasure Island. Robert Louis Stevens' Treasure Island, which I've always hated. I've never been able to get through that book. But uh, it does have a lot of those similar points where you have, you know, kind of an orphan boy who goes on an adventure to, you know, a weird space, has a map. There's a weird dad figure who may or may not be a villain. You know, it's hitting all those points quite quite a bit. Hmm. And I, I guess I'd ask you as a former boy, uh, did you find anything appealing about this this kind of adventure quest?
1: I mean, in the right hands, sure, I suppose so. But when it came to the stories I was attracted to, I was way more invested in a group of strangers having to spend the night in one haunted house <laughs> in order to earn an inheritance.
0: Those are my favorite, too.
1: Yeah, that's the kind of story I, I, I want. Well, with, the, with that, you know, uh, I mean, I, I always thought the flaw of uh, Treasure Island was when it's discovered that the real treasure was, was the friends they made along the way. (laughs)
0: not that far off um you know and this is where you know it gets into why colonialism is bad blah 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 so traditionally these stories were usually about boys going to like a blank on a map and just basically getting to project their manhood on this blank space that's full of magic. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's not that far off, but like uh, you know, this this imaginary blank space of on a map, which is meant for like the hero to pour meaning into, right? Because there is no blank space on the map, so it's especially interesting that in this movie it, it, it follows that. In that this is Southern Alberta, it doesn't really say, but it has this lost civilization that looks. And sounds a lot like what we get in King Solomon's Mines or She, which were written by H. Rider Haggard. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically started what a lot of authors ended up doing where uh they're writing about africa but africa's true origins were actually white Mm. so when you're going into africa and enslaving their people and stealing all of their resources it's actually a project of reclamation because it really belonged to white people all along white reparations now (laughs) exactly and you're getting this here like um southern alberta now i'm not an expert on this but the indigenous air people in the area are the cree and the sioux and and the chippewa i believe no mentions of them no we have this weird zio i can't even remember how they pronounce it in the movie
1: <laughs> ronnie james dio yeah you must know about the Zeox. Zeox. now with leptithamine No.
0: thousands of years ago uh-huh. long before the indians yeah this land was inhabited by the
1: Zeons. no it wasn't well, but see, here's the thing: the trouble with that is, if you were to have the villainous bad guys as natives, the movie would play way worse. If they are, if if it is a cartoonish businessman whose voice has been pitched down, <laughs> who is white, it's easy to root for the good guys. Very
0: true, and I, I, I agree with you there. But at the same time, that reclamation thing is going on, right? Because it's it apparently these Zios people were white right? Because there's this line that's not very well cleared up, but that Rousedour is a half blood, but the rest of the cults are some kind of descendants. I don't get it, but it's like, it's very much keyed like this is, th- there are descendants of this ancient tribe and they're all white. And it's, it's a, that classic question that, you know, someone who studied the 19th century, is it worse if you have racist depictions of indigenous people or or is it worse when you just pretend that they don't exist at all?
1: Yeah, because I mean, w- with this, there's also something kind of mysterious to the Xyox people, it, it, in that you know they're th- at least the main one, C- Centaur, <laughs> is <laughs> uh, you know Flexor, Stinkor, all your favorites, <laughs> um, it is is explicitly like sort of like pale looking. Mm-hmm. Um, he is he is meant to be like ghastly and downright vampiric, I think, um, and that's probably why the. His his hench dudes are guys in ski masks, so we don't have to pay attention to what they look like. Mm-hmm. There's there's some kind of gr- kind of grayness and vagaries about whether or not, at least watching the films, like whether or not it's like is this their true form or what, or are they blending in in society? We don't know. Like yeah. there's there's still the possibility that these guys are like monsters in human skin or some kind of castoffs or a potentially interesting thing you could do. Although this would be a far more modern take on this material, would be you know a bunch of white dudes pretending to be the direct ancestors of (laughs) the lost city of ziox or whatever
0: yeah i think there was some hint it was going that way yeah but uh the thing about bad movies that i like is that they borrow from tropes and they do them so goofily that they become very obvious and then they're kind of easier to see in other places and it's like oh yeah how many times have I seen something in the eighties and nineties for boys that involves some kind of map, you know, and it's just like, oh yeah,
1: well, that's because with girl medias uh for aimed at little little goily goils, uh that the, the map was always towards somebody's heart. it was always a metaphorical map <laughs>
0: that's true
1: yeah um here's the here's the weird thing that that I found uh watching this movie is just how much more palatable these these sorts of stories are when it's about a duck billionaire. <laughs> because had this been Duckburg instead of Alberta, how much better would this movie have been? Launchpad, we're going to Canada. That's the story.
0: you know, it's, and it's funny that you bring that up, because even though I think those 19th century books, you know, people revile them now for being so openly racist, but those beats, those beats that you get in those colonial adventure stories, they still have a lot of... Uh, resonance and people still like them you 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 can't have ducktales as you pointed out without a colonial that that colonial adventure story you don't get indiana jones without the colonial adventure story like these these still get constantly recycled because there's something very and I, i'm still trying to put my finger on what it was but people still really are drawn to those adventure stories
1: and uh, i mean i think a lot of it too and it's sort of a shame is that adventure as a genre would be uh, as appealing for parents and and children something you could sort of watch together a a family hour type uh, program Um, and like one of the closer things we've seen I think to like a successful adventure movie weirdly enough is one that doesn't quite have a treasure map but Jurassic Park yeah yeah where we, of course, have just a, uh, a a tourist attraction map where all the dinosaurs are, but that is more of an adventure movie than a lot of the stuff we've seen recently. Um, it's it's it is kind of appealing when some of the stuff has been downplayed. That is problematic with that. So with Raiders, not so much Temple of Doom, but <laughs> but, but, but Raiders: Rise of the Lost Ark is quite fun and you don't feel like there's an ickiness to it and uh the same the same can be said at least from memory of of a lot of uh, ducktails mm-hmm. um and i i i think it, it kind of goes to show like how much it can work if you kind of reimagine uh those elements to avoid uh stereotypes about natives and uh also of course about you know quote-unquote undeveloped places when you when you kind of sidestep that kind of stuff you do end up with something quite interesting and fun and it's, it all just relates to like quest narratives anyway like say the lord of the rings which you talked about earlier
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i'm reminded too of another weird thing talking about sort of Trying, you know, what's better to ignore or, or to include, mm-hmm. uh, but to potentially uh, demonize uh, other people. And I'm reminded of how much more racist the Peter Jackson King Kong is over the 1933 King Kong. Uh, really? The 19- yes, the 1930s King Kong is just earnestly like, oh, this is a, this is a tribe. And that's it. So it's Mm -hmm. tribe cliches from movies. In the Peter Jackson version, it's like, oh, let's paint these dark-skinned actors even blacker so that they appear unearthly and demonic.
0: Oh, God. Yeah,
1: it's (laughs) way worse. It's way, way worse. But it's trying to be, as like, oh, but these these aren't Africans now. They're some other kind of people. It's like, eh, pass.
0: You know, Haggard did that in the 19th century. They weren't Hmm. black. They were kind of yellow.
1: Oh, good. Great substitution.
0: (laughs) Well, Chris, my cult branding has dissipated from my arm, so I think we can move on. Do you have a final fact awaited for us?
2: I do. So the final sacrifice shows us that the Zeox clan that has been doing such terrible things to our heroes is vanquished. They all sort of die and revert to their normal Quebecois self or whatever that point of the movie was. Uh, but I, I, I wanted to let you know that the ZeoX name has not fully disappeared from the face of the earth yeah. because beginning in 2015, Xeox is the name of a brand of cell phones manufactured in India.
0: Yeah, I, I would have guessed that it was fabric softener.
2: Hmm. It may also be, I, I don't know if you want to throw these phones into your wash, that that might help. Uh, I will say that the, the phone's, some of them are quite, um, well, you know, like, you know how iPhones used to look with the big bezels on the top and the bottom? Mm-hmm. And you know how sometimes you could get like a metallic colored phone, but it would have like the white bezels on the top and the bottom? Vaguely. You can get a Xeox Duopix F9, which is a gold phone, but the bezels are also gold, which is super weird looking.
0: Hmm. Oh, all right.
2: I'm going to. But in the, the slack, right? Mm. Kind of hideous, huh?
1: It, it it looks. Here's the thing: I don't want my phone to look like the
2: wrapping on the bottle for caffeine-free diet Pepsi.
0: <laughs> That's very blingy. Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah, it really is very blingy. The um, that phone will run you. I think it said yes, about sixty-five hundred rupee, which mm. is roughly one hundred and thirty dollars Canadian. Oh, so you know. It's worth a
0: shot. It can't it can't be worse than my Ed the Sock phone.
2: If you've been affected by the issues on this show, if you grew up watching Canadian TV on American soil, or if you'd like to ask Beth and Adam anything, get in touch with us. Our website is It'sJustAshow.com, and we're on Twitter at It Is Just A Show. We'd love to hear from you. This show is made possible by listeners like you. For as little as $1 an episode, you can help us research and record this show, and you can listen to all our superfan bonus bits. And you can get access to a private members only Slack. Find out more at itsjustashow.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash itsjustashow, and thank you if you do. And if you want to follow up on anything that was mentioned today, you'll find links in our show notes at itsjustashow.com slash episode slash 53.
1: Hmm. Well, I think we have said all that we can uh, in terms of this grade A, Grey honest film. Uh, What awaits us next time?
2: On It's Just a Show. Well, last summer, you might remember we took a trip to the beach and we watched Catalina Caper, and that was fun. We engaged in some underwater scuba diving fisticuffs, but I don't know, that seemed like it was maybe a little shallow. We were happy-go-lucky teens then, but now we're all grown up and we need to find something a little deeper, and go someplace a little deeper. So, let's go to Season 12, Episode 3, Lords of the Deep. Mm. Oh,
0: another gauntlet run.
2: Yeah.
1: And plus, this movie wasn't just produced by Roger Corman. It features the acting chops of Roger Corman. What? Yeah. He plays, like, Captain of Sea Commanders at the
0: oh, finally decided to step in front of the camera, did he?
1: Mm-hmm. At the tender age of 56. <laughs> However
0: old is. I've heard this is a good one, so I'm looking forward to checking it out. I haven't actually watched it yet.
1: Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's 80s Corman. It's got a, a certain amount of style, a certain amount of panache, and a certain amount of reserve production value.
0: Yes. All right. Well, let's, let's check it out.
2: Excellent. Well, on that note, until next time, may all your sacrifices be final.
0: And all of your sweaters be red. Take it away, Theme Squad. fizzle ones that just go...